0: Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Presbyterian Church in Owasso, Oklahoma. Our passion is to show that grace changes everything in Jesus Christ by equipping you to rest in worship, grow in community, and rediscover your calling. To join our body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at TrinityOwasso.com. When we read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's tempting for us to read it sentimentally. Oh, love but if you were in Corinth in this four mile wide peninsula in the ancient Near East that linked southern and northern Greece then you would you would know that this was actually a stinging rebuke to the Corinthians because Paul is saying love is everything that he had previously in the chapters before said that they are not and so when you come to chapter 13 you'll notice that he switches in verse 8, to describing love in a new way, he moves from describing the qualities of God's love, the qualities that the Corinthians were not demonstrating, to talking about the duration of the Christian life. And last week we said that love never ends, ha, agape, utipote, pipte in Greek, we learned And the Greek word pipto means to fall or collapse. Love never falls. Love never collapses. Love never ends. It holds you up, as is chiefly seen in Jesus' love for each of you. And not only does love hold you up, but it is embodied perfectly in Jesus, which we've been talking about week after week after week. His love for you never ended. It took him all the way through a perfect life, to Golgotha, the place of the skull, where he died by being crucified on a Roman cross for you. Not only the person next to you, but for you. As a perfect sacrifice, once for all, for you. Do you believe this? Let's stand together as we read God's word, and we're going to look beginning at verse 8 down through 12 today. As you get ready to look at God's word with me, I want to remind you that there's a paragraph break between verses 7 and 8. Why is that there? Because beginning in verse 8, Paul is contrasting the eternal nature of love with the temporary nature of all of our gifts. And there are some very gifted people in this room. That your love lasts through Christ forever. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Please give your attention to God's word. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, And if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Amen? Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Please. When Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart was a teenager, he lived with his father, Leopold, in Salzburg. And old young Wolfgang would come home, the story is told from a riotous evening with friends, and he would come into his house and his old man, his father, Leopold, would already be sound asleep in bed. And, and young Wolfgang loved to play uh, pranks on people, and he loved to tease his father. And so when he would come in late at night after his father was sound asleep, he would sit down at the family piano and he would play a rising scale of notes late at night, first softly and then louder and louder and louder. But at the very end of every scale, he left off the last note And he would play it again and again and again, and he would just play this rising note of scales, and he would get louder and louder and louder. And then he would go to bed. And his father, Leopold, would would hear these notes and these scales, unfinished. And he would toss and turn at night as these notes came into his imagination and into his dreams. And so frustrated, inevitably, Leopold, in the middle of the night, at some point in the middle of the night, he would get out of bed and he would go to the piano and he would strike that last note. (laughs) And Wolfgang, with his head in his, you know, his head in his pillow under the covers would giggle himself and smile all the way to sleep. He thought it was so funny. And in some way, the Apostle Paul is like saying your use of your gifts, your amazing talents, Corinth, Tulsa, Trinity, they're amazing. But if you use your gifts in beautiful ways, it's amazing, but you have not love. It is like you're playing a scale that is only leaving the world with tension. Paul describes the call of love as an unfinished scale. And in doing so, he points us into the future of God's glory when all of the dissonance will become beautiful resonance. The tension will find its resolution. And Jesus, Paul says, is the perfect example of this. And in looking at Jesus, you see a picture of God's kingdom in the incarnation now as Jesus perfectly embodies all of these characteristics of love. And in seeing Jesus and through your faith in him, your union with him, you are also seeing something of your future. You're seeing something of what you will one day become. And Paul says that one day we will be made righteous and holy just like Jesus. And one day, as the old hymn goes, faith will vanish into sight, hope will empty into delight, but love in heaven will what? Will shine more bright because love never fails. And Paul uses two analogies to illustrate the fact that the gifts, the prophecy, gifts of tongues, they will cease, but love will always endure. And the two analogies that he uses are the analogy of a child growing up and a mirror being replaced by the presence of a real face, seeing someone as they truly are. So I just, I just want to help us spin the diamond of the beauty of Jesus this morning in the gospel and look at those two ideas of a child maturing into adulthood and of a mirror being replaced by the presence of one face to face. First, a child. What would Paul say to you if you he were here today? Well, he would say the same thing he's saying to the Corinthians. He would say, Trinity, grow up by maturing in love. Not knowledge, not doctrine. He would say in love. You grow up by maturing in love. How do you know he would say that? One of the most shocking metaphors in all of the New Testament was the nature of a Christian becoming like a child. Do you remember the story that Jesus had with, uh, you know, with, the, with the Ivy League uh, Sadducee, the scholar Nicodemus? Remember in, in John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and what does he say? What does he say that Nicodemus must experience in order to have a relationship with this God he has spent almost all of his life learning about? That he must be born again. He uses this analogy of, of, a, of a child, though Nicodemus in his old age had to become like a little child. Or in in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, three times in 1 Corinthians, Paul goes back to this this metaphor of a child. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, "Uh, but I, at verse 1, brothers could not address you as spiritual people, but I had to address you as infants in the flesh, as babes in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, because you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready, he says. For there is jealousy and there is strife among you. In other words, you're acting like babies grow up or later we'll read in several weeks um maybe even after advent and and in first corinthians uh, 14 he says brothers do not be children in your thinking but be evil be infants in evil and in your thinking be mature so here in first corinthians 13 he's talking about us being childish what does he mean When you begin to judge, assess, measure your Christian growth by the quality or the impact of your gifts, but not by the love for which Jesus has for you and your growth in repentance and faith, you are acting like a baby. When you begin to judge anything in your life by any other metric, Aside from your regular practice of faith and repentance, you're beginning to act like a child. You can be 80 years old. You can be at the top of your career. You can be uh, financially secure. You can, you, can have, you can have everything, as the world would define it, well made. But when you come to know Christ for the first time, some of you know this, you become like a little child. You become an infant in the faith. What does he mean? Well, we'll, we'll just just like um. Parents who have raised children, you know that when when children uh, are young, the, the things that are loud and sensory and, and sometimes even sensational, that, that are big, draw their attention. But but it's the things that are more mundane, the things that are more um, banal, the things that are more commonplace, the things that are more, I don't know, you pick the word, quotidian, the things that are more commonplace, the things that are normal, the things that are just part of the warp and wolf of life. Those things don't hold their attention very much. And if you've ever taken... Um, uh, a child to a movie, you know what this is like. Like if you take a four-year-old to a movie, and you were to say, "Okay, we are gonna, we are gonna, um, we are gonna go to a movie that, um, you know, I don't know, uh, you know, pick if if they were to remake Pride and Prejudice and put it on the big screen, and you had the option of Pride and Prejudice, or you had the option of Star Wars, which one of those do you think would hold that four-year-old's attention?" Bennett, Star Wars. Thank you very much. Every time because that's what children love. Children love, why do they love Disney Plus? Because every one of those movies is action packed, it's vivid, it's bright, it's big. But what Paul is saying is that when you're a young Christian, you're attracted to the pizzazz, the action. Don't show me faithfulness over the years through a million little decisions. I wanna see car crashes. And parents, you know this. If you've ever taken a child, like, like we, we, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago that like Lauren and I love the TV show, This Is Us. But it, it's an acquired taste because it's a plot development, not over 50 minutes of an episode, but over an entire generation of a family watching them grow and mature. It's, it's, it's rich and it's beautiful. But if you were to line my four kids up and they're amazing kids, you would line them up and say, you want to watch This Is Us with us? no. We want to go watch, you know, I don't know, name the program, something else. But Paul is saying that also in the church, it's very easy for the church to get distracted by childish things. So, for example, when we share, I have to fight this temptation all the time, when we, when we share testimonies. We love the testimonies of somebody who comes to faith and says, you know, I was addicted. I was, you know, compound the, 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 the mess of life before conversion. And when I was saved... My life was easy. My addictions went away. I was whole. It was great. We love the sensational. But if you're a mature Christian, you know that that is rarely the reality. And you know that instead of the big pizzazz, the big, you know, um, smoke and lights testimony, the big, you know, the big shebang, what actually is a mark of your maturity is are you able to remain faithful through a million little things that you do over the course of the week with love? Are you picking up what I'm saying? Do you hear me? It is easy to be childish. And quite frankly, I am. And I imagine that some of you are too. God, God, please don't do that to my family. I won't be able to handle it. I want the pizzazz. Three-car garage, picket fence, nice house. Great church. You know, it was interesting to me as I was thinking about this story on Mozart. You know, he had, uh, he had uh, seven brothers and sisters, but only he and his sister lived past the age of five. John Owen and his Uh, wife Mary Rook had 11 children and they buried every single one but their daughter who made it to two and then they buried her. St. Teresa of Avila one time said from heaven the most miserable life will appear to us as like one Night in a poor hotel. When God. Dr. Luke was, was telling the story of Jesus. He told the story of a woman with a disabled spirit. And he wrote now, he was teaching on one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabled spirit for 18 years. And she was bent over and she could not fully straighten herself. And when Jesus called her, saw her, he called to her. And he said, woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her. And immediately she was made straight. And she glorified God but the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. Don't you love that? He healed a woman who for 18 years had been bent over, and then the synagogues are like taking swipes at him because he healed on a Sunday, on a Saturday back then. And Jesus said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. With the Pharisee said this, come on those days and be healed, but not on the Sabbath day. <laughs> and Jesus says, love knows no bounds. And for some of you, he wants to bring you out of your infantile perspective of the gospel. And he wants to teach you that, yes, your marriage is hard. Welcome to the Christian life. Did you think it would be any other? Like, I know that you thought it would be pizzazz and all glory and honeycombs and sweetness and endless I don't know, sugar, as we're going to find out in a couple of days. But didn't you know it was going to be hard? Didn't you know that? Move from your childish ways. Stop viewing God as a subscription service that just provides what you want, that you can stamp thank you Jesus on. And recognize that he is trying to get his arms around you to give you something far more beautiful and more precious. He's trying to give you himself. And you mature in grace when you move from your childish ways of the loud and the pizzazz and the the intense and the immediate change to the consistent faithfulness over time why is it that we do the lord's supper every week do we do it because it's like supposed to you know coddle you emotionally no but it certainly will strike at your emotions but it's not for that reason it's because you were inviting meal after meal after meal after meal for you to come into the presence of jesus And to be healed by him. And to call you to faith again week after week after week. And to say come mature through a million little decisions for which we are repenting for. And we are coming back to grace. To come and enjoy his presence. Because when you begin to move from your childish ways. And you begin to move toward maturity in Christ. You begin to realize that it is not the measures that you've often measured your life by that counts. But it is the way that you are loved which takes us to the second metaphor or analogy that Paul uses, that of a mirror. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. The Greek word for dimly is the word for which we get the English word enigma. In enigmati in Greek. Now we see as through a puzzle, now we see as through um, a, a mystery, but then we will see face to face, Paul says, but then we will see prosopon, prosopon, pros face to face. We will behold him as he really is. Some, some years ago, a member of my family had the privilege of having uh, a meal with the sitting president of the United States. And. After that experience, they were, they were sharing what it was like to not just hear somebody in a campaign speech, not just hear somebody you know, from, through, the, through the lens of a screen, not just see somebody uh, on Capitol Hill, but like, what was it like to sit down with them and to, and to really enjoy a, a meal? What were they like? And the contrast of what they appear to be and what they were like face-to-face caught everybody off guard. And in the same way, You see through a mirror dimly, only the wealthy in Corinth at the time would actually have had mirrors that accurately reflected a face. Mirrors back then were polished, brightly polished metals, and Corinth was in fact famous for its mirrors, which is why Paul uses that analogy to communicate truth to them. But only the very wealthiest would have had mirrors that actually articulated what they truly looked like. Most of them would have been deformed. Most of them would have gotten parts of their face. They would not have been able to see their whole face all at once. And they would be looking dimly at themselves. And even the reflection of a perfect mirror shows you refracted so that your left is right and your right is left. Even you are able to see you as your friends see you because we look through a mirror. And Paul is saying that in the return, upon the return of Christ, all the distortions, all the reflections, everything by which we measure ourselves, will be replaced by flawless knowledge. Won't that be beautiful? And how do we get that perspective? How do we see that point? How do we see clearly? And Paul has this really interesting phrase at the very end, which in Greek is a wordplay, as so much of his writing is. He says, now I know in part, then I shall know fully. Boom. Why doesn't he just end the sentence there? Because the key to maturity for Paul was the last clause of verse 12. Even as I have been fully known. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I, Epinosco. I, Nosco, but one day I will, even as I am Epinoscoed by the Lord Himself. And so much of our maturing in the gospel is being able to be known. And your ability to grow in grace is proportional to your ability to be known. And the gospel is oftentimes so offensive to us because we have catered our image and our lifestyle so much so that we are afraid of really being fully known. And some of us have good reason for being afraid because we've been hurt by those who know us. If you're divorced and you're here, you know the pain of that. If you are from a divorced home, children, you also know the pain of that. But what if there was one who could know you fully all the way to the bottom and instead of heaping shame on you, you do a pretty good job of that by yourself. What if he were to take you by the hand and stand you up and he were to get his arms around you and he were to embrace you and put your head into his bosom and he were to sing over you? Because the truth is, unless you can become like a little child, we learn from Jesus in John chapter 3 unless you can first become like a little child, you can't go on to maturity. And unless you, those of you who see yourself as mature, recognize that your faith is still so weak that you need Jesus to remind you again of his love, again and again and again, and then equip you to go out by the power of the Spirit and be mature, unless you're able to allow him to know you fully, only then, only then will the mirror become cleaner. Will you as a child begin to mature into who God has called you to be? In John uh, chapter 3, Jesus says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And without any hesitation, he says, So we are. Notice, it is as you hope in Him that you are purified and made more holy. It is not as you straighten yourself up and become more holy, then you can have hope. No, it is as you hope in Him, the only true righteous one. Then you can become more and more and more and more like He longs for you to be, coming back to the foot of the cross. And so are you maturing? Are you able to be embraced by this perfect embodiment, the Man of Love, the Lord Jesus, or are you constantly pushing against His chest and saying, "No, don't hug me. I'm not unlovable. I'm lovable. What do you think He did by coming to Earth in the incarnation, but to die for you? The greatest sin, the unpardonable sin, is to say, "I am unlovable." Surely God can't love me, and not being able to admit that you're a broken sinner that needs to be embraced by Jesus. You can't fix yourself. And you can't spiritual gift yourself into health either. You first must allow yourself to be fully known. To mature as a child matures into adulthood and to see clearly face to face. Because what Paul ultimately is talking about is the parousia, the return of Christ, when he comes to make everything new. And until then, friends, the greatest family, the greatest life that you could possibly imagine if St. Teresa of Avila is true, that the most miserable life on earth was like one bad night in a poor hotel from the perspective of eternity. Then the greatest life on earth you will say in eternity, was just a thimble, was just a thimbleful of the ocean of delight and joy of his love. And one day, Jesus is going to come, and he's going to step into the dissonance of our world and the rising scales, and he is going to finish the job. And he says, Until then, the way that you come from the tension, to the resolution in your Christian life is by playing that note of love. So play it. As you prepare for Thanksgiving, play that note of love. It is okay to be wrong in the family discussions and not have to win every argument. Play the note of love by being far more interested in other people than you are reminding them how great you are. Play the note of love as you shepherd your children when it's four o'clock in the morning and you haven't had any sleep and you're just tired and cranky and play the note of love as you change that diaper. Play the note of love as you set out that extra table setting for your neighbors to come over and have dinner with your family at the spur of the moment. Play that note of love as you let that person, oh Lord, please help us come into the turn lane because he didn't see the signs for the last quarter mile. Play the note of love in the way that you love your family and play the note of love as you see the one who has loved himself embrace you with his arms and sing over you his love. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Trinity, please visit our website at trinityowasso.com.